Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jamie Creel with Shelter Insurance. Come see how we've built a name that you can trust and why it is a must to get your free quote today with our Switch and Save. Located in Ridgeland and Florida, Mississippi, give us a call, 601-992-6000. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts of fodder and fine music. It is election day across the Magnolia State. My good friend Rhino, what are you hearing out there? It's election day, y'all. <laughs> I have uh, voted uh, sporting my I voted sticker. So it's kind of hard to make out this time, though, but it, it says I voted. Um, I found the polls to be a little busier, my polling place, than it was in the primary. Um, when I showed up about 7.20 this a.m., um, I guess there was 10, 12 in front of me. Which, um, But a lot of folks, of course, go out and vote before they go to work. Oh, yeah. And then it, it tends to slack off a little bit. Then it gets really busy around lunchtime, and then it uh, jacks up again after the workday is over. Polls. Oh, yeah, it's always the mad dash from about 4.30 to the polls closing at 7. Yeah, uh, 7 to 7. That is the time which the polls are open today. And to- as long as you're in line by 7, you still get to vote. That is correct. That is absolutely correct. If you happen to encounter a line. Yes, exactly. I think all eyes are on the top of the ticket for the most part. I noted, as we've discussed here on the program, that in a lot of the down-ticket races, you don't have a choice. Uh, We ended up with only one candidate, and that's the the case across much of the state, honestly. It certainly was the case uh, for me. And, you know, you look at those candidates in those races, and you say, how come I hadn't heard anything about this? Well, maybe that is uh, because they don't have any opponent. I was thinking about that earlier this morning because I don't know if it's the algorithm on my social media feeds or if there was a donation that that got the, the gears going to put a little bit more momentum behind them, but I've seen dramatically more chatter about Ty Pinkins in the last 48 hours Okay, than pretty much the entirety of the campaign. Really? Interesting. Well, we shall see, as the saying goes. Um, But we're here, and uh, we'll be talking about it uh, during the program today, coming up in the uh, noon hour. It's just you and me for two solid hours, and then it's Michael Watson. That's Mississippi's Secretary of State. He customarily joins us 
on Election Day. He'll call in at 12.05, give us an update. And then we got Richard Cross, host of Sports Talk Mississippi. He's going to discuss Super Talk's election night coverage. That occurs tonight. He will be hosting uh, our election night coverage tonight, get live up-to-the-minute results from across the state during Super Talk Mississippi's 2023 election special. Coverage is starting at 8 p.m. this evening. You'll hear results from Super Talk Mississippi News Team, plus analysis and discussion from guests from across the political spectrum. You can hear our election coverage across our broad statewide Super Talk network, the app, and watch the results, of course, on Super Talk TV. And you can also check it out at supertalk.fm slash results. Tell the good folks, Rhino, about our upgrades and improvements to our coverage with these new tools we now have. Yeah, now we have access to up to the second updates on voting from individual precincts. we got maps that are interactive, and it's all available to you. It's essentially what the the talking heads on TV are looking at when they're talking to you. We're giving you access to it at supertalk.fm forward slash results. I don't know if it's live just yet, but it will be live before we go on the air tonight for coverage at 8 p.m. Very cool. Uh, Also, the good people can check the newly launched My Election Day tool. That's uh, courtesy of the Secretary of State. You can locate your polling place. Also see a sample ballot. And you, uh, you gave a pro tip yesterday when you search. You have to, to uh, actually confirm your address. It has to be located in the Secretary of State system. That would be your residence, where you're registered, from which you're registered Correct. to vote. And, and so you've got to enter that address, and it has to search it, the tool does, and say, yep, is this you? And you confirm that, and it displays it. But you gave a little pro tip yesterday. Please tell the good folks about that. Yeah, I think the computer that we're, we're pulling that data to cross-match with so that you get the accurate polling place, I think that computer is not case-sensitive. So if you want to speed up the search, if you're having a little hard time with it, typing in the address, it just didn't show up, try typing it in in all caps. In all caps, all uppercase. And let it search for it, display it. Select it and confirm and verify, yep, that's me. And then it will display not only your polling place, but it, um, I think, includes a link to a, to a map that you can click as well, right, to launch that app on your, um, your device. Shows you exactly where to go and how to get there. Mine's not too far away, honestly, my polling place. From- Another tip on the C Spire text line from Thomas and Greenwood says it also doesn't translate county road to CR. So if you live ah. on a county road, put CR. Okay. Appreciate that. I think that is the way you typically see those addresses listed, even in the GPS systems, is CR. I've noted that whenever I've uh, traveled to such an address. But today is the day. Now, I had breakfast with some good friends here in the uh, central Mississippi area and uh, noticed there was... A couple of televisions that were on and available while we were at breakfast. And one of those was tuned to, actually two of them were tuned to local television stations. Pretty much every ad slot is one of the gubernatorial candidates. Oh, yeah. I think that could be expected. It's just one after another, right? 
Mr. Presley, Governor Reeves, blah, blah, back and forth, kind of in rotation, almost like a, <laughs> almost like a debate of ads, so to speak. But uh, today's the day. I don't really have too much of a feeling. I'm going to go out on a limb here and predict that the governor will prevail. I'm going to say 51-48. What do you think? Got any thoughts? Uh, 51-48 still gives 1% to the, the third-party candidate. and think that's too I just, many? I think that's too much for that one. Okay. Well, how about 51 and 48 and change? <laughs> Maybe 49? I think I would even go up to like 52. Okay. All right. Got it. Just a hair over 52 and Presley getting just a hair under 48. Okay. We shall see. With about point. Seven percentage points for the third party candidate. Interesting. On the ceasefire text line, we have a 5143. Wow. That would be a pretty sizable vote for, for third the third party. party. Yeah. Right. Six uh, percent pulling off there. Uh, did I do that That'd right? be a lot of protests. Yeah. That'd be a, a bunch. Six percent would be round. I guess 50. that's unfair to call them all protest votes. I mean, that's right. She could have. Some she support. did campaign. There was some support, or she wouldn't have tried to run. Sure, but that would be around fifty thousand votes, according to my calculation, based on turnout last time. Roughly, yeah, yeah. So that'd be a lot. Terry's upholstery says fifty-four forty-five. Tate wins. Okay, that's pretty close to. 19, is it not? As I recall, that was seems to be the margin. I want to we'll say it was 55, 45, something to that, or 53. Came in at that. I know it was north of 50 by two or three points there. 2019, the last cycle. In the meantime... The 2019 was 51.9% to 46.8%. Okay, so I, I missed it. Uh, what happened to the other two and a half or so percent? Where'd they go? And the, did I do that right? I think so. That seems like that calculates out to be 97 and change. They don't have the full results. Okay. Here. All right. I'd like to find those somewhere else. Yep. Uh, what about Joe Biden? You know, we still got a president out there, and I f- have a feeling once uh, this uh, the races today, there's lots of races across the these United States today, not just us here in Mississippi, of course, but uh, there are other races. Um, I think it's Kentucky, is it? Another one? I think so, yeah. Yeah, that's a big one uh, for governor. And uh, Joe Biden, however, still the president. And we got a year from now an election for the president of these United States, and of course all House members and 31, I think, Senate seats. Yesterday, Amtrak Joe. Oh my gosh. Joey baby. (laughs) Uh, We'll talk about yet another falsehood the president told about his past. You're not surprised at that. No. (laughs) We're coming right back, folks. It's election day. We're in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. 
Simon and Garfunkel. Hazy shade of winter. Bumping us into this segment here on Middays. We are in the Element Wealth Studio in the markets. Check in on them. Futures were down, but the Dow now has crossed the unchanged line into positive territory, trading at 66 and change right now. The NASDAQ, though, it is having a pretty good dang day. Um, well, it's it's come off of its high. It was up 120 points earlier, and now it is uh, peeled back a little bit. Let's see if I can get the latest. I think it's up about 40, 50. Microsoft, no, I'm, I pardon me, um, it's still up 120. I was looking at the S&P. So Microsoft is having a, an incredible day, and based on the run of the shares up three dollars and fifty eight cents to three fifty six it may eclipse apple in the category of the world's most valuable company sitting at about two point seven trillion dollars that is significant last time i checked that is a bunch of money a bunch of money so microsoft just uh, issued very good guidance had a good report uh, week before last, and the feeling among investors is that it is really going to benefit from the wave of artificial intelligence. They are going to benefit tremendously from that in a number of ways, both in their application software business and their cloud business as well. Uh, so, good stuff there. I think we are going to continue to see a positive run. I, you know, you watch these analysts. Some think the Fed ain't done. Some think they're done. Of course, that's what makes for the buyers and the sellers. Uh, but we shall see indeed. Some are expecting the so-called Santa Claus rally coming out of October, which is typically a negative month for the markets. Joe Biden, in the, in the meantime, he he just can't avoid the falsehoods, shall we say, Rhino. He he heads up there to to the Amtrak. I don't even know where that Amtrak factory was. Pinocchio Joe. Not sure exactly where it's located. I, I, I didn't catch that. Delaware. Delaware, okay. Well, it is backyard there. So, But once again, he's telling the story about taking the Amtrak train, traveling on it for some 320,000 miles. And when questioned, and this has happened before, it, it, the question didn't occur yesterday, but it's, it's happened in the past. How'd you figure that? He said, well, I took it 180 days a year, 300 miles a day for 36 years. But even left-leaning CNN facts first journalist Daniel Dale back in 21, says, that's not true. He didn't do that. He was trying to make the, this, um, this point that he had an equal amount of time on Amtrak trains as he did Air Force Two up until uh, to September 2015. But he's just not being honest about that. But we're not surprised. What, what value does he think he gets 
from just telling these untruths. What What's the deal there? It's why I say they're using the old playbook, and that's not a jab at any dementia or Alzheimer's or he thinks it's 1989, even though some of those might be true. It's a pre-internet, pre-social media way of politicking. Yeah. You have a small group of people, because that, that crowd can't be more than 100 folks. Right. If that, that you ingratiate yourself with, with a lie, that only those 100 folks would ever try to call you on it, but they're not going to call you on it because they got to see the president. That's, I think, it's a good point. Whereas in the day and age of the Internet and the freedom of information and social media, the video goes everywhere and people just go, that's not true. It's pretty easy to... Unless you got the blinders on and you voted for him, in which you're just kind of sitting there quiet or stewing at the fact that we're calling out his lies. That's true. I tell you what, he better be worried about his polling, and I know the Democrats are. And uh, the folks over there at The View had a discussion about it yesterday. No need to be clutching the pearls, is what they said. We, uh, we did discuss this. We reported this yesterday. Donald Trump leads Joe Biden in five of six swing states. The swing states, of course, they are where the election for president is won or lost really comes down uh, to these six swing states. Nevada, Georgia, Arizona, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. And Donald Trump leads in five of the six. The only one where he trails Joe Biden is Wisconsin. Trails only by two. But in Nevada, surprisingly, polls show up by ten. Now, these are not Republican polls or Trump polls or conservative-leaning polls. This is the New York Times and uh, Siena College. Even they are sounding the alarm that he's in trouble. And I think they're right. But what it tells me more than anything is that people, I, I guess it's fair to say they like peace and prosperity more than they do poverty and war. Because that's what we've gotten with Joe Biden. He runs around yesterday touting Bidenomics. Also, I've seen some polls that have said people believe that Donald Trump as president would improve their current economic situation should he be elected. Rather overwhelmingly versus Joe Biden because proof's in the pudding. I mean, people realized their experience under Trump, under Biden, and it was a positive one, economically speaking, and it's a negative one under Biden. Yet he's telling us how great everything is. Now it's true that unemployment still relatively low, but it was during the Trump administration. That, interestingly enough, typically a high-profile economic matter in elections, people don't have jobs, that's just has subsided. We have an opposite problem. We got more employers, even with inflation, even with what the Fed is trying to do with interest rates, is um, inhibit economic growth, honestly. Even in that environment, folks are still working. And that that's not an issue that I think wins at the ballot box because people got jobs. They had jobs before. They got jobs now. 
They don't really see that he improved that situation. It's level. What they do see is that the cost of everything they buy is up substantially, that their wages are not keeping pace. You've probably seen some folks on TikTok talking about the $18 experience at McDonald's for a Big Mac. (laughs) And trying to get people's attention with that. Nobody remembers such during the Trump years. They do now observe that during uh, the Biden administration period. And uh, they also see Afghanistan, they see Ukraine, now they see Hamas and Israel, and they say, man, this guy, he not only has hurt my pocketbook, but he's made the world less safe, certainly seems. And he's trying to walk this fine line, is he not, with respect to Jewish Americans and uh, the Muslim and uh, Middle Eastern Palestinian community. He's even got people in his own party. You saw that? Rashida Tlaib now has has ascribed the moniker a genocide Joe to the president, a, a member of her own party. So they got trouble in Democrat paradise, I would say. Typically, we we talk about how united they are, but I think this has fractured them, and he's got a problem. Now, I caught a report this morning, I don't know if you saw it, Rhino, about a fan at an Eagles game who was displaying on, like, the, the overhang, the balcony area in the stadium, a flag, side-by-side U.S.-Israeli flag. It was, like, removed from the stadium. I think I have that right. What is I think it was thrown out of a box. I think he had a box. A seat. box, right. I mean, that's what it looked to me like. He was in the box, hanging the flag out over the concrete front trim there, I guess, that overhangs the seats underneath, and was had this flag hanging. Got thrown out. What is up with this? Uh, Probably a lawsuit. I hope so. Honestly. We're stepping aside for a break right now. A whole bunch more to talk about. It's Election Day, folks. We got texts coming in as well. We'll get to those. Stay with us. We're in the Element Well studio. We're coming right back. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Well, I think that's the uh, hallucinogenic-induced <laughs> iron butterfly in a Gata de Vida. We played about uh, 30 seconds of that. It's it's like two hours or so. <laughs> there was a Perez sighting up for yesterday, so I had to play it. Okay. I got you. Well, uh, yeah, so a couple of people on the ceasefire text line said that I was talking about the, uh, that many races are uncontested, said so the whole back of their ballot. 
was a single candidate, the down-ticket races. But there are uh, opponents, I believe, for every statewide, is there not? I think every statewide office I think so, yeah. includes uh, 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 candidates from both parties. In, in the case of governor, there are three on the ballot. So a possibility of a runoff is certainly looms, but I, I don't feel like there will be. I can again report that the airwaves are replete, shall we say, with ads from candidates, so the money is still flowing. I don't remember it being quite that busy, that packed with ads as uh, in 19, but certainly that is the case here. Ain't no doubt about that. We, uh, we certainly shall see. Once again, we got election night coverage beginning at 8 o'clock, and then tomorrow we'll be all over it. We'll have a whole bunch to talk about. And then we're on the road, are we not? Right now, I think uh, Thursday, we're going to be at two museums with the uh, annual Veterans Day ceremony. For more info on how Mississippi is honoring our veterans, go to mdah.ms.gov. And then Friday, we're down to Camp Shelby at the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum. So in the road again, should be fun. Veterans Day is, in fact, this Friday, November the 10th. So we look forward to that. Um, Or is it Saturday? Well, maybe you're right. Maybe it's Saturday, but we're, of course, broadcasting. I think you may be right on that. We're broadcasting. Veterans Day is Saturday. It's the uh, Marine Corps birthday on Friday, on the 10th. Very cool. Very cool. So we were uh, talking a little bit about the national scene where Joe Biden and the Democrats... I've even got some international fodder for you. Okay. So you might have heard us talk about what I call funny money, the the crypto stuff, and Mm -hmm. then... You might remember a big push, it's been a couple years now, of these things called NFTs. Yeah. Where you basically have ownership of a picture on a computer. And some people thought that was going to be the next big thing. One of the major players in the NFT world was a group called the Bored Ape Yacht Club. (laughs) Well, they had a big get-together. Apparently there's still enough money in it for them to hold a big festival in Hong Kong. And they did so over the weekend, and somebody in the organization made the boneheaded idea of buying UVC medical lamps for some of their party lighting, because it looked cool. And now attendees of the festival are reporting welder's burn, which is basically a sunburn on your eye that causes blindness. Unbelievable. You had people leaving the fest with tans they didn't have, and then when they got home, they went blind. Unbelievable. Wow. (laughs) Incredible. Uh, You know, there's so much of this woke stuff going on. I saw a report. I think you may have been the first to talk about the Ohio State University. I think it was Michigan that I had cited, which had more in its DEI department than in its liberal arts school. 
I believe you reported to us that it's Ohio State that had like 132 people or something, something like that. Something yeah. insane. So a report that I caught yesterday, their DEI staff has doubled in five years. Their payroll cost has tripled. Talking about Ohio State University. <laughs> they now have 189 in the DEI department at an annual cost of $20.38 million. What do 189 people do? What do they do? What value are they providing to the educational experience, to the Ohio State University, to the state of Ohio, to the nation? That's really what our colleges and universities should be laser-focused on. Producing leaders, conducting research, educating students to in curricula and pedagogy that gets them a job. I know that's a novel idea that doesn't come up a lot. In 2018, they had a mere 88. So I think when you started talking about it a couple of years ago, maybe a little less, 132. That sounds about right. Yeah, I'm looking at it. 2021. I see a chart now. 131. About the time you were talking about it. 141. <laughs> we need another 10. Now it's 189. 48 hired in a year in this DEI department. Wow. In 2018, it was a $7.3 million cost. Now it's 20.38. And I really that, and, wish I could do the David Attenborough nature documentary voice. Yeah. Because this is the perfect opportunity to, to have something like, well, it's typical to see the parasite gaining hold over its host and reproducing. <laughs> Listen to some of these job titles. Office of Institutional Equity. <laughs> Associate Vice President makes a, a mere $304,000. Inclusive Excellence Vice Provost rakes in two seventy-five. dollars Law School Associate Dean of Diversity and Inclusion. Oh my God! Well, you got to pay them that much because they got to buy the extra large business cards. <laughs> That's right. How about um, let's see here? Student life, belonging, and inclusion associate vice president. What is that for two hundred eight grand a year? Office of Institutional Equity, senior systems analyst. Engineering care, it's an acronym, all caps, for something. <laughs> Academic program services specialist. Law school assistant dean for admissions, financial aid, and inclusive excellence. Oh, my gosh. So, you should know also, as it comes as no surprise, that Ohio State has been raising its tuition year after year after year. And, by the way, this $20 million, it's just the payroll costs. When you also add in all the expenses and the travel and the benefits, it comes out to be considerably more than that. Now, I ain't picking on Ohio State here because 
This is pervasive. Here's what I don't get. With all this investment and all this DEI stuff in the name of equity and, and uh, compassion, right, and caring, yet all of these campuses are experiencing huge protest, anti-Israel threats now. Is a Jewish students report they don't feel safe on America's college campuses. That shouldn't happen in America. And I support their right to spew their hate speech. I don't support and I certainly don't condone and think there should be consequences for threatening bodily harm. That's over the line. But more importantly, if we're subsidizing, which the taxpayers are, there's no doubt about that, these institutions, which are havens for these protests and these people who support terrorists, are they just blind or do are they just willfully ignorant? Do they just choose to ignore the attacks on civilians launched by Hamas? Or are they really evil enough to justify them? I, I wonder. And that's sad. I mean, when you see reports of Hitler was right, the hashtag being posted gazillions of times from accounts in this country, where did we go wrong? Did we forget what happened in the Holocaust a short 80 years ago? We just ignoring that? Because it sure does seem and feel the same to me. Incredible. Kenny Loggins, I'm all right, bumming us out of this segment. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Don't forget we got Secretary of State Michael Watson at 12.05, Richard Cross at 12.35. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. Girl, you thought you found the answer on that magic carpet ride last night. But when you wake up in the morning, the world still gets you uptight. That's actually, uh, what was that, about 66 or so, I believe? Somewhere in that time frame, I'm guessing. 66, 67. That was during the uh, psychedelic years. 66. Ha, I had it. On the album Midnight Ride. <laughs> and that, of course, if you listen carefully to the lyrics, is, uh, is uh, an attempt to persuade someone to stop using drugs. That's uh, really what kicks is referred to. You come down and the world still ain't right. And it was thought that was an escape from the realities of life as an excuse. 
still kind of is, I think, but I think more today it's just uh, it's just considered recreation. Old Robert Reich, our good friend, he's at it again. <laughs> he hates success, the little communist does. Just hates it. Loathes it. Actually, he's just insanely jealous and envious. I'll go ahead and say it. The next time you hear Republicans complain about increased IRS funding, remember that the richest 1% of Americans evade $163 billion in taxes each year. That's who the GOP is protecting. And what he's talking about there, if you hadn't heard, is you got this new Speaker of the House, of course, Mike Johnson. And he is calling for a single bill that would provide some $14 billion of funding to Israel, and he would offset that by reducing $14 billion of funding to the IRS. Remember, as part of the Inflation Reduction Act, there was a provision that bolstered funding for the Revenue Service over 10 years by $80 billion. So Mr. Johnson says that we need to give Israel, he believes, some money, but rather than just lapping that onto the debt, let's cut IRS funding. Now, that's better than just an absolute, or, or better, pardon me, than just spending money, sending it to Israel without offsetting cuts, but that's not really helping the deficit or the debt. You're just staying even. Just to point that out. Now, what the Democrats want to do, you may have heard, they want to give more money to Ukraine, and they want to put a whole package together over there in the Senate. They got a bill. We're giving more money to Ukraine, and they're willing to cede some degree of additional funding for border security, though it's falls way short of what's needed. Of course, the president and his entourage are in denial, his cabinet, honestly, including HHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas on the Hill, still contends that the border is secure. He uh, is just in a state of defiance about it. I'm sure his boss is telling him to do so. But that's what's on the table. Now, the other thing we got to keep our eye on is the government's running out of money. I think it's the 17th, if I'm not mistaken, is when the, the um, continuing resolution that was passed back in late September, just before Kevin McCarthy was removed. It's 17th, right, Rhino? It's when yeah, we I run out of bucks. Okay, so, folks, we're, um, we're dangerously close to that date, uh, 10 days away, to be exact. And what that means, that that would be next Friday. Um, That means if the Congress does not pass through regular order, which was at the the heart of the ouster of Kevin McCarthy, that's what Matt Gaetz objected to, no more continuing resolutions. I'm with him on that. I don't necessarily think that removing McCarthy was the way to achieve that goal. Um, But here we are, and 
what's expected by those who wanted to make a change at, there at the gavel in the House was that we're going to negotiate these 12 single-subject bills through regular order, as opposed to these just packaged continuing resolutions or omnibus spending bills. I totally support the regular order approach, but we're running out of time, and I don't think it's going to get done. And even the Speaker has said, yeah, I think we're going to have to have a continuing resolution. Again, the very thing that Matt Gates says he can't live with, he objects to, is what we're about to get again. And it's going to go through probably the middle of January. Speaker thinks that much time is needed to negotiate all that. But we're not going to get what, uh, again, was at the heart of this, uh, this change. We're coming right back after Fox News and Super Talk News. Stay with us. And now, and now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Middays. We are live in the Element Wealth Studio. Secretary of State Michael Watson will call us at 12.05, 12.05, and give us an update from out there in voting land. And then we got Richard Cross, host of Sports Talk Mississippi, in the Element Wealth Studio at 12.35. This, uh, as we said earlier is a big day for elections, uh, not only in Mississippi, but elsewhere. The other big gubernatorial race, uh, I was right, I mentioned that earlier, it is in Kentucky. Incumbent Andy Bashir, the Democrat, State Attorney General Daniel Cameron, in that race as a Republican. You remember we first saw Mr. Cameron... I want to say, Rhino, that was um, back in the 2020 election cycle. Don't you remember him maybe speaking at the convention or something? Something related to that around that time. He was very impressive. And he is uh, taking on Bashir for governor there in the bluegrass state of Kentucky. That's the way the stadium announcer. You ever been to a game? Commonwealth Stadium. Can't say I've been to that stadium. Kentucky, that's the way he says it. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty neat place, honestly. The Commonwealth Stadium. I think that's what it's called. You got um, the Virginia Senate would be the state legislative race that uh, they're talking about the state Senate. Yeah, state legislative. Most in focus. That's because currently... Virginia, which just a few short years ago was deep blue, you remember it elected a Republican governor. Glenn Youngkin came onto the scene, a businessman, and basically he won with the message that, you know, parents really ought to have a say in their kids' education. 
because Fairfax, Loudoun County, two extremely affluent school districts, I mean, they went overboard woke, as you recall. I mean, with the critical race theory and the gender ideology, just whatever, they just dished it up. And even parents on the left said, "Uh, I don't know about this deal, and began showing up at school board meetings, which got quite contentious. Of course, they had the obligatory, uh, what do you call that stuff? The the Plexiglass. Plexiglass, yeah, escaped me. They had that all over the place for the COVID, you know, because it can't go through that plexiglass. It can't travel over it. (laughs) It's magic. (laughs) But, um, so, Virginia, the Democrats don't want to admit this, but it could be a harbinger of the national elections. So here's the deal. The Democrats have a 22-18 majority in the Virginia Senate, whereas Republicans have a 49-43 majority in the Virginia House. There are five vacancies in the House. There are eight battleground elections. And amazingly, there are eight battleground elections in the Virginia Senate. But here's the deal. Virginia presently has very lax in almost unrestricted abortion law in place. You remember, who was the candidate, Rano, that was running against Youngkin, and they were talking about abortion, and he made some wacko comment about, okay, if an abortion is botched and the baby is born and the baby's alive, we're just going to make it comfortable until we figure out what to do. Do you remember some crazy comment like that? And... I want to say maybe Hillary or somebody was in there next to him campaigning when he made that comment. And he's in a he's in a uh, a uh, government official figure. I just can't remember his name, but nonetheless, Youngkin has said, "Hey guys, if we can flip the Senate here, we can keep chipping away at all this craziness in our schools and get some common sense conservative policy in place that all the schools would have to adhere to." over and above what has been achieved thus far. Uh, But in particular, it's kind of thought to be a referendum on abortion because Youngkin has come out and said he would push for a 15-week ban. Now, as we've talked about so many times before, that's almost become the new pro-life stance. 15 weeks. Mike Pence, who you certainly wouldn't expect, would get on board with such a policy. Now, he's dropped out of the presidential race, but in both debates, he stated his support for a federal ban at 15 weeks. Virtually every candidate has said they support some sort of restriction on abortion, but none says um, that there should be no exceptions and that life begins at conception. That's pretty much been abandoned. But in, but in Virginia, it is thought that if the Senate can flip and the House is maintained with Yunkin sitting in the governor's office, that legislation would pass that would, that would uh, significantly restrict abortion relative to what it is today at 15 weeks. And their rationale for that is that I guess it's believed that that's when a baby in the womb can begin to feel pain. I think that's widely held. 
Then you got school board elections. Sixteen states today have school board elections, and all of a sudden, because of this craziness in our schools, these have become pretty high-profile school boards. Amazing. And then in Ohio, this is an interesting one. There's two. There are two ballot measures, citizen-initiated on uh, the ballot that voters will be deciding on today. Now, there are 28 statewide ballot measures that range from abortion to marijuana, utilities, taxes, state constitutional rights, even the dreaded ranked choice of voting, which pretty much requires a Ph.D. in math. Does it not (laughs) figure out? (laughs) Um, If you think people are questioning election results now... (laughs) Exactly. If we had RCV, oh my gosh. Because you know what you'd have? A bunch of people arguing about it that don't understand the math. (laughs) Um, Ohio, they have two citizen-initiated issues, measures. One is a constitutional amendment to establish a state constitutional right to make and carry out one's own reproductive decisions. That is the way the language appears on the ballot, by the way. And that includes decisions about abortion, contraception, and other reproductive matters. The other issue on the ballot in Ohio, citizen-initiated, a state statute, not a, not an amendment to the Constitution. Apparently, Ohio allows both to be uh, initiated by citizens to get a measure on the ballot to legalize marijuana for recreational purposes. That would make Ohio the 24th state to legalize marijuana. So there you go. So a lot of eyes are focused on Ohio, which has gone red in the last couple of presidential elections, but is largely traditionally thought to be kind of a purple state, somewhat bifurcated between western Ohio and eastern Ohio. And uh, so a lot of folks are looking at these two measures to see how the voters weigh in and how that might impact and and instruct, inform what next year's national elections may look like. In Maine, that's Maine has uh, got an issue on transmission and distribution facilities of utilities. Interesting. It would replace investor-owned with quasi-public elected board corporate type structures uh, called the Pine Tree Power Company. How about that? Interesting. So we'll be uh, checking in on all that stuff as well. There's uh, there's one that would prohibit, uh, to see, I think this is also in Maine, prohibit foreign governments or entities from making contributions to influence elections in Maine. That's kind of interesting. And then, uh, how about this one? A citizen-initiated state statute designed to require motor vehicle manufacturers to standardize their onboard vehicle diagnostics. 
Man, trying to peel out something special for one state? I'm afraid that just runs up the price of vehicles, honestly, to comply with that kind of stuff. All right, we're coming back with more. We are in the Element Well studio. We got Secretary of State Michael Watson at 12.05, Richard Cross, host of Sports Talk Mississippi, at 12.35. It's Election Day, folks. Go out there and vote. And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, now, on to the real part. Dynamite! On Super Talk Mississippi. I should laugh, but I cry because your love has passed me by. You took me by surprise. You didn't realize that I was waiting. Time goes slowly, but carries on. And now the best years have come and gone. You took me by surprise. I didn't realize that you were lying. Folks, that's the smooth vocals of Burton Cummings from Winnipeg, Canada. That's the guess who? Honestly, uh, I think that's one of the best rock voices of all time. Just my opinion. I think he... uh, I think they recorded that before he grew the iconic mustache. That's what he was kind of known for, Burton Cummings. Yeah, pretty cool. Thank you for that, uh, Rhino on the C Spire text line. I would say some go for three candidates, but many will write in McDaniel. I think the flag issue will hurt Reeves down 49 South Hattiesburg, Laurel area. Interesting. So are you saying Mississippi people can't do math on the C Spire text line? No, I'm saying that there are very few people in the country, honestly, that if you asked them to describe how ranked choice voting works, they'd struggle with it. You agree with that? Especially considering it would have to be codified in legalese to even be implemented. Which would take So you have wonky math translated (laughs) into legalese, and then you're expecting the mass populace to fully comprehend it? It's just a tall task. Imagine... A word problem, those of you that remember those days. Let's say an algebraic word problem for um, Algebra 2. Multiply that by 100. That's what this is. If you think about it, it's more than just add, subtract, minus. There's a process. And it's not even the word problem like Timmy goes to the store and buys 30 lemons and Tammy goes to the store and buys 30 lemons. How many lemons? Like, it's not one of those. Ca- no, it's the train leaving station A is going 75 miles an hour. The train leaving station B is going 100 miles an hour. Where do they meet? That's right. Uh, so, no, it's, uh, I, I'm a Mississippian. I consider myself to be a decent uh, person at math. And I can tell you, every time the subject of ranked choice voting comes up, I have to read it pretty carefully to make sure. And, and a couple of times, I think, I've at least attempted to, <laughs> to convey 
the procedure here on the program, and I I would suspect most people just kind of gloss over it. Once. Well, that's the other reason I brought up the legalese and, and codifying it is because ranked choice voting is more of an umbrella term to describe about four or five different methods. That is right. And you would have to, as a legislature, as a legislative body, decide on which one and then implement it. So it... It's a whole extra layer of confusion. Yeah, there are. You're right. There are mutations of it. Shall we say? Kentucky football stadium is Kroger Field. Okay, says Romeo and Tupelo. I I'm pretty sure at one time it was Commonwealth Stadium because I've I've been to three four games up there and I I just remember that fairly vividly. One thing I did like about the Kentucky you're both stadium, right. Okay, it's Kroger Field, also known as Commonwealth Stadium. Okay, there you go. So Kroger, of course, I believe headquartered in nearby Cincinnati, if I'm not mistaken, and they uh, they paid some money there to get the naming rights on the stadium. In Louisville, Kentucky, it's Papa John's Stadium, as I recall. I think it still is. Now, that'd be Louisville, Kentucky, and that's because Papa John's founded, headquartered nearby there. Also not very far from Churchill Downs, the University of Louisville. It's kind of sandwiched between Churchill Downs and downtown Louisville. Pretty neat place. Been there. Um, I do recall that the area underneath the stadium there in Kentucky is quite spacious. Some of them, you know, it gets tight because what they did to expand them, like Auburn comes to mind, it's really, really tight under the stadium because they went up. And, they, and so they have more capacity, but the bottom of the stadium stayed the same. Now, they could have, since the last time I was over there, which has been a few years, they could have expanded it. Uh, another one that I really enjoy that I've been to is uh, Arkansas. A really neat stadium up in Arkansas. It's kind of a, sits up on a hill and uh, rode into campus stairs, just boom, right behind it, not far from the baseball field. Cool place. We have great stadiums here in the great state of Mississippi as well. And old Papa John can't have anything to do with the business he founded, the Darren and Jackson Remines. Correct. Mart safe from voting Democrats, says Donald in Kokomo. Love canceling out one Presley vote. Well, that's one way to look at it. Yeah. Tate's handling of COVID should not be forgotten. On the ceasefire text line. Jerry in Waynesboro. I can't get to it, Jerry. Sorry. Sent a link. Price Wallace. Representative Price Wallace. Down in Simpson County. Sent us a uh, photo where he has got the sticker, I voted, attached to his front. Appreciate that. Representative Wallace. I just went through Oklahoma. This is the ceasefire text line president-elect, and there's a BLM table and tent set up on the corner with BLM and vote signs on it, but just one person sitting at the table. Interesting. How about we just stick to leaving it to the states, says Thomas and Greenwood, with respect to abortion. The theory, Thomas, by Mike Pence and others, seeking the presidency is that they would concede on if they if they were to enact legislation at the federal level that, um, that essentially governed controlled abortion the gestation period and all the other features there provisions is that it would it would uh, rein in the deep blue states which 
upon passing Dobbs went the other direction, whereas the red states, uh, most of which, such as Mississippi, immediately responded by restricting abortion even further because they had the ability to do so with the ruling from the highest court in the land. The blue states, the liberal states, Democrat-run states, they went in the opposite direction. They expanded access to abortion significantly, some allowing it up to birth. And in fact, they put programs together to provide financial assistance even to those who seek to travel from a state where it is restricted. Many companies also added that to their benefits. So we had response on both sides of that matter. More restrictions and then more access and funding for access. Incredible. Yeah, I saw that earlier um, yesterday. Uh, Thomas sent us a letter. The Department of Justice says they're watching the elections in Madison and Panola counties, and the Secretary of State will ask him about it when he comes on. Um, he, he sent a letter to the Department of Justice just indicating how they would respond to that. We shall see. Thomas, that's not the prerogative. That's the prerogative of those states, not the role of government to impose my will on residents of another state. Well, Thomas, I hear what you're saying, but I mean, that's just one of the millions of issues that you could apply that same logic to. When it, where is that appropriate and constitutional for, for the federal government, and when is it not? So, I mean, this is what the Supreme Court exists for, honestly, and that's what it ruled. I think it got the ruling right. But the results of that ruling is that abortion is way more available now in the states that support it, that are more pro-choice oriented, and in the states that are more pro-life oriented, it's been restricted considerably. Robert and Brandon says, I just left my polling, polling pardon me, precinct in Rankin County. Pretty big crowd. I've heard that as well uh, from anecdotally from friends who have observed the uh, the precincts in Democrat districts and Republican districts, it seems like we're going to have a pretty good turnout. The turnout, as you recall right now in the primaries, was a bit disappointing, but I think we uh, are poised to have a pretty strong turnout. And you've you got to believe that the top of the ticket is the draw, of course. I think that's why so many are showing up. In the primaries, we've heard a lot of people say, I pretty much went, and remember, you have to choose a ballot party, because the primaries in Mississippi are conducted by the parties. So it's the question you're asked. you want a Republican or a Democrat um, ballot? Because independents immediately advance to the general. So, and we had folks, you remember, complaining about that. Gee, I wanted to vote for a, a local figure that is a Democrat, like a sheriff seems to be the common one. And therefore, I wasn't able to vote uh, in the state elections. And I would have liked to have done that and cast my ballot for Republican candidates. And a little vice versa on that as well. We're stepping aside for a break here in the Element Well studio. It's election day across the Magnolia State. We're coming right back. With Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk, Mississippi. 
to see me, but you're afraid. We got the 60s going on today, baby. That's the great Gary Puckett in the Union Gap. Okay, I'm going to guess 67? I'll take good care of your love. 68. Dang. The Summer of Love was 67. 68, of course. Much tumult in the country uh, that year. Appreciate that, Rhino. So what do we got on C Spire text line? Got my sticker. This is Rhett and Ridgeland. Even ran into my in-laws at our polling place. And the most southern thing that I've ever witnessed, the polling workers gave my in-laws some homemade cornbread from their lunch spread. And my mother-in-law left with a recipe. <laughs> How cool is that? He says, Ward 5 Ridgeland is the best. That's awesome. Keith invading Rhino's playing that 60s and 70s dope smoking music. <laughs> Where's Kenneth Stokes <laughs> when you need him, right? Paula Meridian, I wonder how the so-called stoners are going to vote on governor. How do we figure out who's the stoners? <laughs> uh, you know something, Rhino, that uh, didn't come up in the debate that that I can recall, and I watched it and went back and reviewed some parts of it again. A couple of things didn't come up. One was the the ballot initiative. That didn't come up. And that seems to be uh, top of mind for many voters. And, you know, the other thing that didn't come up is PERS. Something that we've certainly discussed here on the program. Now, the moderators didn't consult with us, obviously, down there at WAPD. <laughs> Uh, on what line of questioning they would employ, and that's fine. But I'm just a little surprised that didn't come up. I, I certainly believe, just anecdotally and from our text line, that that is uh, an important issue that many voters in Mississippi would like to see resolved. That's reinstatement of the ballot measure process. Did not come up. And I know PERS is kind of a relatively new issue. We've been uh, We've been clamoring on it, uh, or I should say about it, for a while, just because it's not going away. It ain't going to fix itself. The uh, article that I promised I would produce is complete and is uh, scheduled to be published tomorrow, Super Talk Mississippi website, and I'll certainly let you guys know about that tomorrow. It's, uh, I'll warn you, it's a bit long for an article such as that in a, on a website like that, a news site. But there's much to talk about. And uh, I sort of go through the background and, and give kind of an overview of what the plan looks like and, and get a little bit into what are some of the options that could uh, be leveraged to address the issue. But that that's going to be a big-time thing. I fully believe that in the next term, at a minimum. Might not be this coming uh, session. I think it will be, though, because I think the PERS folks are going to push for it. And uh, I'm hearing more and more buzz about it. But it's, it's definitely uh, going to be a thing. Ain't no doubt about that. I guess you forgot 
Tate called the 74% that voted for medical, medical marijuana stoners. Well, first, Paul, you know, we've been through that math a million times. It was 74% of those who voted um, for the initiative. A lot of people didn't vote. So it wasn't 74% of the total people who voted. They just left it blank. Uh, so that, that's a, that was a bit of a misrepresentation. I think I don't remember him calling those people stoners. I do remember him having concerns about the quantity, the volume. You remember that was the sticking point, Rhino, to uh, just prior to the legislation that he finally signed into law. There was some uh, adjustments to that from where it started with respect to the the volume that a patient who received a certificate. It's not a prescription, it's a certificate that allows a patient to purchase medical marijuana. There were some uh, negotiations and adjustments there. The governor was not comfortable with the uh, the amount allowed. Certainly it did reduce it, I think fairly significantly, as I recall, Rhino, from Initiative 65 to what we finally got in law. Um, I haven't really kept up in the last four or five months with the status of the program in Mississippi, though I have been told, and certainly I, I moderated an event, oh, I want to say back uh, early summer, <clears throat> that included uh, Dr. Edney from the Department of Health, who has responsibility for administering the program, and, and some folks from the industry, legal advisors that work with people operating in the industry, and and I know there were concerns at that point about the number signing up. It, it had uh, not come in as expected. And there's a certain number that industry experts believe is necessary just for the industry to be viable. And one of the pushbacks I've heard is just the cost. It's expensive. Could run you as much as 800 bucks a month, north, north of 800 approaching 900 if you bought the full amount allowed under the law. And I think a lot of people feel like they can either do without or maybe they find other sources. It's safe to say. And there's been issues in other states as well. California's one where the black market still thriving even after they legalized because it was expensive and what California did is levy really, really high taxes. I think even at the retail level, as I recall. So, but I haven't gotten any report. We hadn't gotten around to that in a while. Uh, It's kind of fallen off the radar, I would say. I think voter turnout is low on the ceasefire tax line. That's from the 228. That would be on the the coast. But So I don't know what to think at this point. I've just heard uh, most everybody I've talked to thus far, and that's mainly in central Mississippi, has indicated that uh, it is turnout looks higher than usual. That was my experience. Uh, but um, we'll get Michael Watson on the phone here in about 20 minutes, and he's probably got some reports, I would feel confident, from the field, his st- his team, his staff, my daughter, one of them, that's out at the polling places observing. Now, we, we talked earlier about, and we'll talk to the Secretary about this, uh, the D- Department of Justice. I'm not sure why DeSoto County and Madison County, other than... Those are two counties that have a a fairly significant split 
or I should say a, a, a close margin Democrat and Republican voters, and maybe there's some concerns, but the Secretary drafted a letter, signed, sent to the DOJ, right, Rhino? I believe he, he addressed it directly to the DOJ, just informing how they would comply with... Yeah, with, it was uh, to uh, the Deputy Chief and Elections Coordinator of the Voting Section of the Civil Rights. Okay. I certainly hope that there's not suspicions from the DOJ of voter suppression here in the great state of Mississippi. You hear that rhetoric all the time from the left. It's the end of democracy. People can't vote. Yet they never produce any examples, do they? I'm still waiting for that. I want to get them, just one person come on and say, I tried to vote and they wouldn't let me. Now, you show up in Mississippi. You don't have your photo ID. You show up, you're not registered. Any of the other basic standards that are required to ensure you're legally valid to vote? Yeah. That's not voter suppression. That's just following the law, and the law is not unreasonable. But, of course, folks on the left say, you mean you got to prove who you are? Oh, that's, that's the end of democracy. Insane. Yet there are gazillions of examples where you have to show your identity, confirm your identity. Your credentials have to be presented. They don't seem to object to that, such as, I don't know, flying on an airplane is just one example. How about checking into a hotel? Can you remember the last time you were able to check into a hotel and you didn't have to present a photo ID? And a credit card? You ain't getting in that I know of, unless you do that. Not any hotel you want to go to. Well, that's true. Is that not the end of democracy? I mean, it's crazy. It's the the, the hyperbole is is kind of sickening. Honestly, it's it it loses any credibility when they start all that crap. Oh, boy, the doors you found waiting for the sun, staying in the sixties. That's an awesome one there. have no idea what the song lyrics mean, <laughs> but um, it's a pretty good tune, though. Well, we're stepping aside for a break. we got another segment in hour two of Middays, and then after the news, which we'll bring you at the top of the hour, it's the Secretary of State, Michael Watson. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live on Super Talk Mississippi. That would be the Yardbirds. Um, I think that was 65, a little earlier. 64. Dang. Off the album Five Live Yardbirds. Well, you know, that's a band which served as the springboard for the career of three pretty well-known rock guitarists. 
Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck, and Jimmy Page. That's a boatload of talent right there playing the old guitar. Like a reverse supergroup. <laughs> exactly. Little did they know they would be catapulted to global fame entertaining us with the strings. That's good stuff there. Appreciate that, Rhino. I caught an article in the MIT Technology Review. I still try to keep up with some of that stuff. And they don't report just on information technology, but just technology in general. This is pretty fascinating. I think you may find this fascinating. A man with Parkinson's disease has regained his ability to walk after physicians implanted a tiny device on his spinal cord. 62 years old. Neuroprosthesis. Neuroprosthesis. And this device has electrodes placed under the skin right on top of the spinal cords. It sends electrical signals to stimulate the nerves of the spinal cords, and, and those in turn activate his leg muscles. He's able to walk. And that's fascinating. This is just a way that, uh, another way that human innovation can improve the quality of life and health in general. But it's also another example of how stuff keeps getting invented, and it costs money. And, of course, anyone with Parkinson's, Parkinson's who might be a candidate for this surgery, of course they want it. And that presents a, a difficult and thorny problem for society. How does that get paid for? I don't know what it costs. We, we shared uh, not so long ago a new treatment for sickle cell anemia that, for the most part, and, and it may be exclusively rhinos, it only affect black folks, or can, it, can a Caucasian also contract the disease? Uh, it's those of African, Middle Eastern, and Indian descent from oh. the Indian subcontinent. Okay. But it is predominantly... African-Americans, I believe, by, by population. Yeah, and certainly I don't know how many um, in our state have it, but it I mean, it's relatively common. Um, and it's if you've ever seen anybody that has experienced uh, an attack, and I know there are different degrees of that, it's, um, it's painful. But this new treatment apparently can cure it, and the folks who invented it have been presenting it to CMS to persuade CMS, who runs Medicaid and Medicare, to, to cover the treatment. So that this is uh, becomes an ethical problem, as, as well as an economic problem and a moral challenge. Gosh, I you know as a as a Christian, as a as a God fearing person, I want people to be healthy. I don't want people to be sick. And if there's a way to cure them, improve the quality of their life, and treat them for their ailments? Gosh, I, I don't want to deny that. The question is, how do we go about funding that if they can't? And then, of course, you get into hassles with insurers. You know how that works. I'm hearing more and more with the private insurers, more and more uh, just conflicts, if you will, providers and, and private insurers. And one of the big things that I'm hearing from 
friends in the healthcare industry or that those with private coverage are are just defaulting on the patient responsibility. You said I'm not going to pay it. And the consequences are collection agency comes after you. They're limited on what they can do and their their main tool is they report it to the credit bureau. It would affect your ability to borrow money. But if you're willing to accept that, don't have any plans to borrow money, you just walk away and just stiff the provider of your share. Which at that point, if it's a sizable enough debt, they'll take it to court and garnish whatever income you might have. They can. They can get an order to do so. That's right. Uh, but but if it's less than a certain amount, they're, they're not going to yeah. make any money off that, so they just write it off. Yeah. On the ceasefire text line, when did it become okay to fly foreign flags in this country? My family came here from Lebanon and have never owned a flag of Lebanon, much less flown one. We came here to this country to become American. Why all of a sudden are there thousands of Palestinian flags flying on college campuses and in front of the White House? Because these fools have been brainwashed into thinking that Hamas is on the right side of this conflict, even though they kill innocent people, behead babies, rape women, cart off the elderly, they put babies in ovens, etc. Uh, they're brainwashed by Marxist professors. That's why. We're stepping aside for a break. It's time for Fox News, Super Talk News. Secretary of State Michael Watson is next. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply, to think deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays, Hour 3 of the program. The afternoon portion is live from the Element Well Studio. We welcome now the Secretary of State of the great state of Mississippi, Michael Watson. Mr. Secretary, it's Election Day across the Magnolia State. What's happening out there? (laughs) It is. We've been up and at them early today, and uh, really excited about Election Day. Obviously, the weather is beautiful here in Jackson, Mississippi, and we hope it is across the entire state. Uh, as you know, we saw absentee numbers that were higher than they were in 19, so we're hoping that predicts a great turnout today. Uh, we've got members of our team all around the state. We'll be in about 50 counties or so in different precincts, making sure the law is being followed. Uh, we don't just talk about it. We're actively out there. And just encourage all Mississippians, if you see something that looks a little bit odd, a little bit off, make sure you report that uh, to our office so we can get uh, some attention to it quickly. Well, I voted uh, this morning around 7.30 or so. It was uh, quite a positive experience. The poll workers were courteous, professional, efficient. Everything went smooth. I mean, is, is that what you're hearing from across the state as well? I know folks check in with you. Yeah, it is. We, we've seen a couple of pictures of some lines around at different precincts, and then we've seen some precincts without lines. We've heard some issues about precincts running out of ballots, and uh, that's an issue that's handled at the county level. Uh, what they're supposed to do is print out about 60% of all active voters, uh, that number of ballots, and then they disperse those through the county at the different precincts. So sometimes uh, they may guess a little bit wrong, and one precinct may be light, another precinct may be heavy, but then they can move those ballots around. So uh, really just an average, normal election day here in Mississippi, yeah. nothing is ever perfect. 
Yeah. Uh, but just thank the Lord for all of our poll workers who are out there spending their day making sure that this election runs smoothly. No doubt about it. Uh, and, and like I said, my experience, um, not only today but in the past, is that they're, they're always courteous. They're, they, they always seem to be enthusiastic and, and really diligent about their service, their work there. And, and so I, I want to thank you and your team. Uh, for making it a positive experience. I think that's important. And there's just uh, very fast, move through in a hurry, no delay, no problems. Uh, I think I did see someone who uh, maybe was at the wrong precinct. You know, sometimes those can change around, but the My Election Day tool that is uh, available right there on the splash page at the Secretary of State's website is, uh, is quite helpful. Uh, you just have to enter your name, and or actually, you don't have to do that. You just right. You just have to put in your zip code, and then authenticate your address, and right. boom, it tells you exactly where to go. Shows you what your ballot looks like. That's exactly right. And just a, a really big thanks to Kyle Kirkpatrick and our office for coming up with that idea and then fleshing it out. And uh, unfortunately, today he bought me some chocolate donuts that had sprinkles on them. So <laughs> I'm kind of wondering how a guy who's so smart to build my election day could then bring sprinkles on the chocolate donuts. But, uh, look, a big thanks to our team here. They've done a phenomenal job. And one thing I wanted to mention, you mentioned those uh, going into the precincts and having a smooth experience. We really enjoy getting out and doing that. And I hate to not be able to do that today since I'm on the ballot. I did not want to be in the precincts. Yeah. Uh, you know, Obviously, that would show some maybe some preferential treatment. Didn't want to do that. Uh, but I hate that. I love seeing our poll workers and telling them thank you personally. And I'm making sure that they're doing a great job out there. But really appreciate their help today. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk about... This, uh, this DOJ situation, the Department of Justice of the United States, which says that, I guess it's keeping an eye, observing, right, uh, voting in um, DeSoto and Madison uh, counties. And, and you uh, drafted a letter and you sent it to the DOJ. Rhino just uh, read, in fact, who you addressed that to, uh, the addressee. C- tell us about this and, and uh, how you're handling this. Yeah, so they, they made the, I guess there were some phone calls uh, late last week, and they were looking at both Panola and um, uh, uh, Madison County. And we saw a couple of years ago where they looked at Florida, they looked at Missouri, and unfortunately what we've seen is a, a slanted DOJ. And typically, historically, uh, that usually means they're coming in to pick a fight. And uh, unfortunately for them, uh, our laws say that they're not welcome into our precincts. And so we wanted to make sure that they're aware of our laws. And basically, uh, they're not an election official. And so they cannot be in our precincts and they cannot be within 30 feet of our precincts. So uh, that's what we sent them a letter and said, look, uh, you can come down to Mississippi. You can enjoy the view from 30 feet. Uh, but outside of that, you were not welcome in our precincts. What exactly is it that they feel they need to observe? I mean, have there been any such anomalies or so-called voter suppression or situations, and in particular in those counties, that they feel like, well, we got to dispatch some folks, you know, straight from the federal government here to make sure those people in Mississippi are, are complying with uh, federal law, essentially? You know, the one thing I can think of with, with Madison, I know we saw a couple of issues about some uh, precinct changes, uh, which, by the way, again, my election day, that information comes directly from the county. So uh, if you ever have questions, make sure you're reaching out to your circuit clerk there. But 
Uh, that was an issue I think that may have uh, looked at and thought, well, you know, what's going on down there? Uh, Panola County, I think historically they've made a couple of visits to Panola County. So I guess that may be on their radar from, from issues in the past. I'm not really sure why. But again, uh, the important thing here is they are not election officials and they should not be in our precincts. And so we made sure they're aware of Mississippi law. I apologize. I said DeSoto. I misspoke. You're right. It is Panola County. <laughs> Uh, which is just a bit south of DeSoto. That, of course, um, the county seat, I believe, is Batesville of Panola, adjacent to Lafayette. So I apologize for that. Thank you for correcting me on that. Um, you know, I, just, I think you're right. It just feels like they're, they're looking to possibly see something that they can leverage politically. And that's a shame. That is not what our Department of Justice, it's supposed to be blind in accordance with our founding, our laws, and that's what we expect. So I, I applaud you for informing them. But did they push back when you said, hey, you can't get within 30 feet here? What did they say? Well, so they had a follow-up meeting with Madison County the next day and basically told Madison they would respect my wishes, uh, but they did not agree with us. Uh, so we're going to have a follow-up phone mm-hmm. conversation uh, within the next couple of weeks to talk about that. But one of the things, Gerard, again, the politicization of the DOJ is unfortunate. Uh, and so you've got to come off uh, really from the get-go of thinking, well, wait a minute, what, what are they trying to stir up here in Mississippi? Uh, we've had a great election process. Uh, you look at the other states that they've tried to go into, Florida, Missouri. It unfortunately seems like they're trying to attack red states, and that's unfortunate. Uh, but again, we just simply stated the law here in Mississippi, and I'm going to stand behind that and stand in the gap for Mississippians. I'll just say, and you may or may not choose to comment on this, I wonder if it's related to the fact that we have a high-profile race at the top of the ticket for governor and uh, the, the essentially the Democrat-controlled DOJ maybe smells a little blood in the water and, you know, and, and thinks there, there's a chance here and they're concerned about so-called voting irregularity uh, that that uh, might assist the Republican candidate here. I, I hope that's not the case, but it's it's reasonable conclusion uh, at a minimum, I would say. Uh, all right, so the polls close at seven o'clock tonight, right? You can comment if you want. Uh, now I didn't I didn't mean to to preempt you there. No, no, no. I was simply going to say it's a beautiful day for them to enjoy a 30-foot view from the precincts. Uh, but, uh, yeah, polls close at 7 o'clock. And as people know, if you're in line by 7 p.m., you will be allowed to vote. Typically what happens there, Gerard, is the, uh, the polling uh, bailiff will come out and get behind the last person in line at 7 p.m. Uh, to make sure no other individuals come and get in line after 7. And then they will escort them through and let them vote, uh, obviously, as we would want them to do. What about any sort of security or or law enforcement being present at any of the polling places? Is that the responsibility, Mr. Secretary, of your office, of the county? Is it is it a requirement? How does that work? So typically what you're going to see is a bailiff inside the precinct. If something goes wrong, then obviously they can call law enforcement. Yeah. If there have been historical issues, uh, you may see some type of patrol around there. But again, that's not something that our office would do. Okay. That's something at the local level. If they know of something that's going on or if they want to be prepared for something, uh, and, and God forbid anything happens today on Election Day, uh, but everything's going as smoothly as we could hope uh, today so far. Yeah. Well, so what? Uh, do you have any information that would say what are the times of day when the precincts are especially crowded? I, I just would assume it'd be, uh, since most folks are working during the workday, uh, before they start work, on their lunch break, or after uh, they end their workday. Is that the case? 
Uh, typically so. And, and we saw this morning on my election day tools, you and I have mentioned before, yeah. uh, the traffic really, really spiked prior to 9 a.m. So folks were getting prepared. Uh, it actually went down for a little bit. So we had to add additional capacity. So uh, the folks looking at my election day uh, surpassed what we even thought would happen. So really happy and proud that folks are using that tool. Uh, but we see that we see a rush around lunch. And then I know on the coast being from there, uh, usually after five, between five and seven, a huge rush from folks coming from Chevron and Ingalls. Yeah. And you'll see that all across the state. But uh, that's just my personal experience of standing in the back of a truck waving at people on election day. Yeah, <laughs> I understand. Well, appreciate you coming on and giving us an update. And uh, thanks to you and your team. And of course, as you indicated, um, all of the poll workers who come out and make sure that our elections are efficient and secure and safe and and just provide a pleasant experience for voters. Appreciate that, Mr. Secretary. Thanks for coming on. That's right. And let's say thank you to our men and women in uh, uniform uh, for making it possible for us to even go vote. And look, outside the sprinkles on those chocolate donuts, I think it's going to be great. (laughs) 100%. Appreciate it. Talk at you soon. Thanks a lot. All right. Take care. We're coming right back, folks, in the Alamut Well studio. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk Mississippi. Rumors spread around in that Texas town. About to check outside the game. You know what I'm talking about. Just let me know if you wanna go to that home out on the range. They got a lot of nice girls. everyone, LaGrange by ZZ Top, bumping us into this segment here of Middays. We're in the Element Wealth Studio. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. The Dow Speaking of which, now up 64 points and change. The NASDAQ up 135, largely being driven by Microsoft. Good news there from the big software maker and cloud services provider, and the market likes that. The market uh, investors still trying to figure out, however, what's that old zany Fed going to do with interest rates? They're not very direct. <laughs> with their communication. So all the Ph.D. economists that work for all these big wealth managers sit around trying to parse every letter of the Fed chairman's comments. They did leave rates alone last week. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Some say, yeah, we're going to get more before the end of the year. Some say, no, we're not. Hard to tell. Uh, Speaking of economic matters, old Robert Reich... As Rush used to say, Elon Musk has lost $41 billion in the past two weeks. He's still the richest person in the world. Don't tell me that billionaires can't afford a wealth tax. <laughs> this guy's obsessed with other people's money, is he not? 
totally. And some of the people now in social media take him to task. <laughs> they say, well, I looked you up. It looks like you're worth about $4 million. Why don't you give some of your money, Mr. Right? <laughs> Pay up Robert or shut your mouth, <laughs> one commenter <laughs> proclaims. Oh, my gosh. And, and, of course, this is all about taxing money you don't have. Uh, it's on paper. Unrealized gains. There, for what? To send it to the most inefficient manager of money on the planet? The U.S. federal government? That's the problem. But somehow, for them, it's all about getting a pound of flesh. And they, and they want to create a tax code that taxes based on who can afford it. You can afford it. you got to pay more. So upside down. One person who made a comment here, which I agree with, says, I'd rather Elon have the money than the government. Elon actually makes all sorts of useful stuff and advances technology, which helps everyone. All the government does is create headaches in my life. Truer words were never spoken. Oh, gosh. Markets go up and down, another commenter says. We pay tax when taxes are realized. Socialism never goes up. But yet, someone who agrees with him, right on, Secretary Reich. Thank you very much once again, Mr. Secretary, for your game-changing post here at this time. No one else understands economics, fairness, equity, and economic justice better than you, Secretary Reich. No one! (laughs) Exclamation point. Oh, gosh. Somebody has a crush. (laughs) Exactly. Billionaires need to pay their fair share. Tax and Jobs Acts. Oh, they missed something. It's, it's Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. That's the TCJA passed under Donald Trump. Needs to be reversed. It created no new jobs. Corporations used to their tax savings to buy back stock and gave their CEOs raises, but only a few workers got raises. There is no such thing as trickle-down economics. Child care deduction and increase in standard deductions are going away as part of the act. No, it's not true. That's not true. Standard deduction went up. Child care credit went up. They're totally wrong about this. That's just unbelievable. I get so sick of it. Now, someone was tuned in yesterday to our discussion, you recall, Rhino, with Senator Angela Hill. The senator called in. We have been discussing the issues and where the candidates come down on the high-profile matters of interest to Mississippians. And one of those, of course, is the concept of expanding Medicaid. Now, the senator pointed something out that we've been pointing out for a couple of years here on the program, which is the rather significant changes made to the subsidy structure in the marketplaces, which were created as part of the Affordable Care Act. Now, these are marketplaces that are available to those with incomes in certain ranges, and and the way the subsidy model works, it limits your premium to a percent of your income, depending on your income. That was hatched in the uh, Affordable Care Act, a.k.a. Obamacare, back in 2010, and states created these marketplaces to sell private insurance to those in the individual market, not those who obtain their insurance from their employer, provided it is affordable. 
And so this is something we've pointed out, that with the structural changes made in the subsidy model, that it is a very much a viable alternative to Medicaid expansion, because folks whose income is less than 150 percent of the federal poverty level, and that is, of course, depending on how many are in your family, in your household, actually, in your household, 150 percent, your premiums are zero percent. We've pointed that out as an alternative, as an option to Medicaid expansion. It's actually more generous from, from that, from a premium perspective. And so the senator pointed that out as an option to Medicaid expansion. I'm a, still a little surprised that our lawmakers really haven't gotten on board with this as an alternative to, to promote it and investigate how we could get the uninsured in our state. And so someone who listens to our program that I would call a moderate, says on the eve of the election, actually included our clip of our interview with Senator Hill, on the eve of the election, Senator Angela Hill suggests on statewide radio that the Medicaid expansion gap doesn't even exist and claims that anyone earning less than 99 k for a family of three can get a subsidized plan through the marketplace. That's 100% accurate. That is 100% correct. Are you contending it's not? I'm looking at the dang law. I got it on the screen. By the way, the federal, federal poverty level for a family of three is $24,860 because the subsidy is available to anyone um, that has an income of up to 400% and it tops out at that. It limits their premiums to 8.5%. Yeah, that's right around 99000 bucks. Now, what the senator said is correct, but Someone who makes not, a household of three makes $99,000, what essentially means is that their insurance would be limited to 8.5% of that income. You can do the math there. It's about 8500 bucks a year for a family of three. That's actually pretty good when you think about it because individual coverage, or, or pardon me, coverage for an individual, even in an employer group plan, is in the nine dollars to $10,000 a year range for one person. That's three. That's the way the subsidy model works. He's conflating that, is this, this uh, person on Twitter, with Medicaid expansion. What the senator said, that we have also pointed out, she used that as an example, but if their income is less than 150% of the federal poverty level, their premium cost is zero. That's the same as Medicaid. It is zero. However, Medicaid only uh, covers able-bodied adults, which is what Medicaid expansion uh, would be available to, whose income is less than 133% of the federal poverty level. This is actually more generous. Plus, you get commercial coverage, not Medicaid. You know from working in the healthcare world, commercial coverage reimburses higher than Medicaid. It is more welcome than Medicaid by providers and pharmacists. They'll basically tell you, I lose money on every Medicaid reimbursement. Uh, and Medicare's roughly the same. It's slightly better than Medicaid. So I don't know where they're going with this. I do believe this is an alternative. Now, I said yesterday, I acknowledge, they still have a $3,000 maximum out-of-pocket responsibility. And folks who make $20,000 a year which is who would qualify, they'd have a hard time paying $3,000 out of pocket if they uh, overran, exceeded 
uh, that amount. That would be a problem, or got to that amount, in terms of the deductible, co-insurance, co-pays, and so forth. I get that. But maybe there's a way we could create a hybrid. They get private insurance, and somehow we, we reimburse or cover, and they get a little skin in the game as well. The hospitals, I think, would pitch, pitch in as well to help cover that $3,000 uh, out-of-pocket expense. Got to get creative. Not just dismiss it, which is what I feel like is happening here. So we're stepping aside for a break right now. Once again, we're in the Element Well studio. When we return, it's Richard Cross, host of Sports Talk Mississippi. He'll talk about Super Talk's election night coverage tonight. Starts at 8 p.m. We interrupt this program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge. 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 News. Huge. 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 News. Huge. Huge. Top roll today, aren't we there, Rhino? LaGrange, Texas. Shop dress man. Well, that was my favorite video, by the way. The car was cool. The clothes. And the models were not too bad either. <laughs> uh, we welcome to the program now the host of Sports Talk Mississippi, Richard Cross. What about it there, Mr. Host? Like, what's what's the Sports Talk guy doing uh, <laughs> with Gerard? And what's he doing here tonight from 8 until 11 or so? That's right. Election uh, Day. Yeah, Excited exactly. to be here. Yeah, that's going to be cool. What, 8 o'clock? We uh, might not have... The final results of some races at that point, but we'll have a lot of stuff to talk about by then. Yeah, I mean, I think in the first hour tonight, we'll kind of lay out the groundwork for what's going on and kind of recap the day that was. It sounds like most polling places, things are going smoothly. Yeah. Uh, we've gotten the benefit of outstanding weather, nothing like 80 degrees and sunshine in uh, in early November. Absolutely. I don't know what time we're living in, but that's, uh, <laughs> we're that's where we are. Off, huh? that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've got a little bit of time between now and, uh, and when Sports Talk starts this afternoon. Um, but, I mean, just... Uh, so many of the races, there's not a lot of drama as yeah. to what the outcome is going to be. Obviously, the votes have to be cast, and they've got to be counted, and good, solid, clean, fair elections in Mississippi, so we'll do it the right way, but yeah. it's the top of the ticket with the, the governor's race, and, you know, to me, you and I were talking a little bit in the break, there's there's a lot at stake here, obviously, for the state of Mississippi, and the thing that the governor has to get over, it, it's not his policies, it's not you know, what he's accomplished in his first four years in office, it's, you know, will people be willing to pull the trigger for them? Do they like him enough to vote for him as governor? And, you know, for whatever reason, Tate Reeves is a guy that rubs a lot of people the wrong way, even people who are Republicans and agree with a lot of what he's accomplished. You know, has Brandon Presley done enough during this election cycle to sway people? He yep. still has a D next to his name, regardless of what his position on issues are. He still is a Democrat, and that bothers a lot of people. And then 
there, there's that uh, that third party candidate that's not a, a candidate in uh, in Gwen Gray, and you know how many people are just going to? I, I think I heard Rhino earlier call it a, call it a protest vote, right? How many people are just going to say, "I'm not voting for Brandon Presley, but I can't make myself vote for Tate"? So there's this other box here, so I'm just going to check it. Yeah. And and you've got the complications of could it go to a runoff if enough people do that? So it's really going to be fascinating to see. It should be, and and you're you're so right. I mean, historically. Uh, uh, political scientists and others who pay a lot of attention to this say that people do vote emotion quite a bit. And there are a lot of different aspects of that that figure into that. And and, and maybe that uh, sort of got its legs back in the uh, the Kennedy-Nixon, um, was it, debate. Trying to think back on that where, right, isn't that right, Rhino? where that just one candidate really came off on television. I believe it was the first televised presidential debate. Hmm. And, Before uh, that, everybody just listened on the radio, right? Yeah, I mean, for what that was worth, just like me and you on the radio. But uh, the first televised black-and-white debate, and um, Mr. Kennedy just seemed to be more appealing uh, yeah. to the voters, and, and Nixon wasn't. Uh, but that that's always been the case. Uh, I don't... I don't know that it was wise of the governor to debate last week. It typically isn't for an incumbent. Honestly, they try to stay away from debates unless they feel like that they need it. And I don't, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm not privy to who advises the governor there. Um, I, I, I kind of thought the debate went fine. It's a lot easier, I would say, though, Richard, that when you're a candidate without a record, that's a lot easier than a candidate with a record. So you've got an incumbent and a challenger here. There, there's no question. And and the governor kind of pushed back doing a debate. I mean, Brandon Presley, as was the right political play, threw it out there. I'll debate anytime, anywhere. Let's do it ten times between now and the general election. And obviously, a sitting governor, an incumbent, is not going to do that. But to me, that's the, the difference in the two candidates, right? I mean, Brandon Presley is telling you what he's going to do. Tate can tell you what he has done, yeah. and frankly, his accomplishments are pretty good. And I'll be honest, Gerard, I, I think one thing that the Reeves campaign has not done enough of in this cycle is remind people of how the pandemic was handled in the state of Mississippi. Because whether you like Tate Reeves or not, I think the way that he managed that situation in Mississippi, and there are probably some do-overs that he would like. He, he might would have if he could do it all over again, be even a little bit more forceful than he was. But in terms of, you know, states where there was strong leadership that, that pushed back on some of the, the mandates that were coming down from the federal way or the way that states that were led by Democrat governors led, I think he did a pretty good job. And uh, we we got back to work and school and normal activities and church services and ball games a whole lot faster than most places did. Yeah. And, and I, I think they should have been trumpeting that more, maybe, than they have along the way. And, you know, teacher pay raise, was it enough? It, well, whether or not it was enough or not, it was a raise. And so that was action when in the past there had been talk about it as opposed to inaction. Um, I, I think there's a lot of positive for, for Tate Reeves to stand on. I think he would be in a better position if he was more eloquently able to demonstrate some of those positions that he's had and some of the accomplishments. You know, it's like just saying this is what we've done is one thing, 
but couching it in a way where it's palatable yeah. to people is is a different thing. And I mean, there's there's no better example than than Governor Haley Barber, right? I mean, whatever he was serving, people were just lapping it up with a spoon and a fork and a knife and licking their plate when they were done. Uh, he does not have that same level of connectivity with really good uh, at that. the people in Mississippi. Haley was. I, I would say Governor Phil Bryant was pretty good at that as well. Um, although the governor, Governor Tate Reeves, you know, if you if you want to dig into really complex policy and, and make heads or tails of that and, and I think make the right call from a conservative perspective, I don't know that there's anybody better at that than him. Honestly. Well, and to use the word we were using a second ago, there's not a debate. I mean, if, if conservative policy is what you're looking for, That's then true. Tate Reeves is the answer, period. Yeah. Whether you like the guy or not, whether you like how he sounds or how he dresses or what he looks like or any of those things, you, you set all that stuff aside. If it's just about policy and whether or not you think conservative leadership is important for Mississippi, then Tate's the answer. Yeah. But for a lot of people, that's not necessarily what they're looking for. Well, and something that, that he's boasted about, and rightfully he should, was uh, uh, the amount of economic investment that occurred uh, under his watch. And, you know, he made the point that there, there's more coming, that he's focused on that. And, and, you know, I guess as a conservative, I happen to think that's the most important aspect well, and as a former uh, business a owner also, yeah, right? I mean, I mean, that's influencing me, of course. You know, you, you look at, at neighboring states. Uh, Alabama has done a great job sure have. Uh, inviting uh, companies to, to make the state of Alabama their home, whether you're talking about, you know, all of the, um, I want to say technical stuff, but that's not the right way to describe it in, in Huntsville. Which technology, is, it, defense technology in particular, they're really, um, really strong. It's become a hub for that. It, it so. has, and, and Birmingham is growing like crazy, and you yeah. know, all over the state of Alabama. I, I, I just hope that the message to companies that are looking to relocate is that we are open for business. We've got a willing and an able workforce, and uh, and this is a place where you'll be good because that's how we continue to grow, right? I no mean, doubt. some of the strides that we've seen over the last decade to fifteen years in Mississippi. And they've been incremental steps, but I think at their core, it's based on business development in the in the state. Well, the way I describe it um, is that the governor is focused on expanding the economic pie, and Mr. Presley, which I think is consistent with Republicans and Democrats on a national scale, Mr. Presley is more concerned about recutting the pie as opposed to expanding the pie. I think that's fair. That that's the way I see it, yeah. and I mean it's the same kind of messaging we get again at the national level from Democrats. It's all about how can we how well, can we and, recut the pie as opposed to how can we can expand it. And, and generally speaking with Democrats, they're like, hey, just give us a chance. We can do it better than it can be done privately. Except there's about, I don't know, 300 years of evidence right here in the United States that says, actually, no, you, you can't do it privately. It's just a you know, very yeah. true. It's almost, I, I like to describe it. It's like the private sector is encroaching on their gig. No, that's for us. To, that's our purview. Yeah. That's what we do. Yeah. And, and I've, they derive power out of that sure. as well. So, but tonight's um, going to be a lot of fun. We got a bunch of guests that are coming in. Uh, we're going to check in with all the all the parts of the state of Mississippi and uh, kind of get reaction from throughout the day and uh, hopefully have some results. Hopefully by ten thirty, eleven o'clock, we will uh, be able to put a bow on this and everybody go home and and know what uh, tomorrow's going to look like. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a prediction before we go? Well, for the governor's race. I mean, I think when it's all said and done that ultimately Tate Reeves will be the governor uh, again, and that will be decided now. But I'm not going to be surprised if this thing ends in a runoff. And if it mm. goes to a runoff, whew, all bets are off then.
how much money might pour into media if there's a runoff, and it's three weeks because yeah. it's on the 28th. Yeah, so what, another, what, $10 million? At least. Maybe $10 million per candidate? Yeah. That's a lot of money <laughs> in a, a short amount of, of time. Wow. All right, well, good luck tonight. I know you guys will do uh, fantastic, and we appreciate you coming in and giving us a preview. Thank you, Richard. Always good to see you. Yeah, man. We're coming right back, folks, with a final segment on Middays. We're in the Element Wealth Studio. Stay with us. Gerard Gibbert, going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. Ceasefire text line, Ben from Madison says, if you have time today, could you explain again the temporary measure in the ARPA in regards to ACA and how many people can sign up? Yeah, and in fact, I did that, and he also pointed out, I saw where Daniel Sparks made a comment on Twitter. He sure did. Um, he he noted it. He heard it. And, and again, this is um, something we have uh, been discussing since the ARPA was passed. And so, just to clarify, it was temporary, and it was made Permanent through 2025. <laughs> That's crazy. Because, again, it's all about staying under the reconciliation rules from a, from a monetary, budgetary perspective so it could pass with a simple majority. Now, my opinion is, in 2025, when it expires, two things, I believe, is what I see. First, it will be a bargaining chip in negotiations for the Trump tax cuts. Now, of course, totally depends on who's in charge. But assuming we kind of have split government the way we do now at the federal level, that will be at play um, as it, to barter. The extension of this provision, which expires at the end of 25, these enhanced subsidies, and then the Trump individual provisions of the Trump tax cuts, the TCJA, which expires at the end of 25. I see that being an epic <laughs> negotiation, honestly, up on the hill. Uh, one for another. If I were a betting man, I'd say that anything that's that's temporary in the form of benefits, I mean, this is welfare. It, like, never goes away, does it? It's pretty hard Doesn't seem like to it. unravel it. So, Ben, um, I know you've also asked about uh, my article on PERS. That is scheduled to be published tomorrow. I'm currently writing one on some ideas I have on health care in the state of Mississippi as well, so stay tuned for that. But appreciate it, uh, Ben. Gary in the Berg says, Complacency will get you beat in sports and business and life, and especially in politics. Too many conservatives are fat and happy and too willing to sit out. 
Also a concern at what our universities have turned out over the last 25 years, totally dominated by liberals in a red state and lots of indoctrination. Don't know how this changes, but an effort has to be made by the college board, representatives, governor, whoever, to gain equal representation or all will be lost. And I agree with you, Gary, and and I just just wanted to um, also share that I'm... I support free speech. I support the free expression of all viewpoints. That's what we should see in all corners of our society. That is consistent with the ideals of free speech. And the person that said uh, earlier, I know, about why are people flying Palestinian flags, I support their right to do so. I don't agree with it, but I support their right to do so. I also don't believe we should compel them necessarily to to uh, to sport a an American flag. I'd like to see everybody do so. I consider myself a patriot. I'm proud of my country. I think that's a sign of, of pride and unity. But I don't support force. Now, you know, in other countries, you do stuff like that, and it's off with your head, right? That's the thing that the liberals in this country don't acknowledge, is just how dang good we got it. It's evidenced by the fact that they can go out And act like fools, supporting people who behead babies and burn them in an oven. We allow that in this country. Now, where it draws the line to me is when they start threatening physical harm, property destruction, harassment and intimidation. No. Express your view. What about these protests over the weekend in Washington? Defacing statues, right? Shaking the gates at the White House? No. That's wrong. All the red paint handprints on the gate at the White House? Yeah, that's wrong. That's defacing, and it's costing money on top of that. Not to mention is it's just stupid, and it's really not helping your cause, in my view. There needs to be a societal pushback on the stupidity of activists, because the left will completely castigate anyone on the right for something they said years ago or in private. But for some reason, the left believes that when they're in a public place, they should be afforded all measures of privacy. So they want to make this big public showing of their beliefs and viewpoints. But don't you dare tell anybody my identity. So right. They're cowards. That's exactly right. Oh, but they're perfectly fine with voxing, oh, I don't know, Supreme Court justices and calling for harm on them and their family because they didn't get their little way, right? That's happened. The double standard is sickening, honestly. It's disgusting. And that's what we have to combat, in my view, in this great country. We appreciate you joining us today. Don't forget the uh, the election coverage at 8 o'clock tonight here on Super Talk Mississippi. We're back with you tomorrow with full coverage. Until then, stay safe and God bless. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.